If you're able, we'll stand and read this verse together and have prayer. Then we'll get into the message. With me, please, if you'll join me. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Bow with me, please. Father, I ask you to speak to our hearts today. May your perfect will be done. Give me wisdom, give me strength, clarity of thought, and, easy, and, and the ability to present my heart's message today to these fine young adults. Work in their hearts and their lives and save the lost if there's any here unsaved and cause some young man who may be drifting a little bit, who may be a bit discouraged and asking himself, what am I doing here? Ready to quit, throw in the towel. May they stay faithful and stay true to what God has called, they said God called them to do. I pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated, please. My mother and daddy came off the farm down in Anson County. That's about one, two, three, or four counties due east from here. They came off the farm. They were, they were agricultural farmers. They worked with livestock and all kind of things. And all they knew was hard work from sunup to after sundown. They worked that way all of their lives, even after they were married and finally left the farm and got into the work-a-day world. They still worked long and hard hours. And they were gracious and wonderful people, and I loved them, and I, I thank the Lord for every one of them. For all of my, my brothers and sisters, seven kids, Dad was a painter. He painted in the days that you didn't make much money when you were a painter. He got a job with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools and painted the facilities of the Mecklenburg County school system for years. On top of that, because of seven kids, he took, uh, he took side jobs. And every single evening, he would go from his regular job to a side job and paint. And he painted houses all over Charlotte and Mecklenburg County. I think about those days, and I watched my dad and mom worked themselves to the bone, so to speak. At times, my dad would get up and go to work before I got up to go to school. And I'd come home from school, do my homework, play like a kid would play, eat supper after a while, go to bed, and dad would get home at 11 o'clock at night. And there was weeks on end that I never saw my father until Saturday evening or Sunday. He had to get home and watch Gunsmoke. That was just one of his favorites. And then Red Skeleton. I, I, we loved him. We loved Gunsmoke, James Arness. And so because I didn't see him very much, we would gather around him and watch those programs. And that was a blessing. He was working all the time. And this is not not being critical of my mother or my father. This is just how it was. When you worked hard, you came off the farm and you had a job that didn't make a lot of money in those days. So dad would go to work, come, come home late. I'd get up, go to school, come home, do what I did, go to bed. And there were times I did not see my father from Sunday evening until the next Saturday night. 
or Sunday, sleeping in the same house under the same roof. He worked long and hard hours. I recall seeing other children and their fathers would go out to get together in the community with our friends and we'd play football or baseball or softball and such such as that. And sometimes I'd see their dads come out and play along with us. And I can recall a few times and I wished, well, I wish my daddy was here. I wish my daddy was here playing with us, being involved. And there was a lump in my throat at times as I thought about that. My mother went to work, and I was a young person in elementary school, went to work part-time in a grocery store. And sadly, during the afternoons and evenings and on Saturdays when probably a little boy needs his mama the most, she was at work helping Daddy pay the bills. Now, take you back so far. I remember when Daddy complained that we got on city water when they built our house, Charlotte Water. I remember when Dad complained about a $2 a month water bill. That's how long ago it was. He said, we got to cut back on this water. I remember those days vividly about the times of growing up. What I needed was this. I needed my daddy's presence and approval. I needed my mother's presence and approval. Now I had it, but I I stop and think about the times that I could have used mom's influence. The times I could have used my father's influence. And you, you folks who are married, got children, most of you are wannabes, you're going to be someday. Just remember if you've got children, they need you. They need you, they need your attention, and they need your love, and they need your approval. They need your discipline that, that, that comes along with being a parent. In Timothy, the word approved stands out to me. All I wanted was the approval of my mother and father. And now I know I had it, but it wasn't evident to a little boy's mind at that time because daddy wasn't there when we were out having a playing sandlot football or baseball. When I studied and learned 2 Timothy, 2.15. He says, study to show thyself approved. All of my life, when we retired two years ago this coming January the 9th from the pastorate, I told our church this. I said, all Chris and I ever wanted to do was serve God. Just serve God. And we still are, although her health is not permitting her to do some of the things she used to do. Approved unto God. It serves as some of the greatest advice that can be given for the days in which we live. We, don't, we, 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 we see all this stuff about the world and the music of the world and the dress of the world, and you want to be it, you want to be somebody, you got to buy this garment, these clothing, this clothing, these shoes, this and that and so on. That doesn't make the man, doesn't make the woman. Approved unto God. I want God's approval. I'll be 80 in just a few days. And for 80 years, all I've ever wanted was the approval of God. 
just God to be happy with my life. Now, I know I can look back and see some times and I thought, well, I'm sure God's not happy with me. Not acting in faith, not doing the things that I ought to do, not studying like I should. Some of the things that I should have done more of and, and I didn't. And I stop and think, God's approval. God's approval. And I look back at the times when I was a pastor and the church we took at the time was deeply in debt and it took years to get out of that debt. God blessed us and took care of it. And when we retired, we were, the church was completely debt free with, no, with money in the bank. God provided, God blessed. God took care of us. And sometimes in spite of my faults and my failings, God says, that's my son. I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. So what about approval of God? Here's point number one. Gaining God's approval should be the primary aim in the Christian's life. Some do look for approval from their peers, parents, partners, pastors, the public. However, having God's approval is far more important than having men's approval. I want you to consider some biblical examples of that. John the Baptist. When he's told Herod, that woman you got not your, don't belong to you, it cost him his life. It, he, it took his life, Mark 16 and 18, for John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He could have said, Herod, hey, everything's fine. But he told him the truth and it cost him his life. And sometimes truth is very costly. Sometimes it's very rewarding. I think about in John chapter 9, the man born blind, Jesus saw him, made a pace, put it on his eyes. He, he did what he's supposed to do, what Jesus said, and he had his sight. And some friends said, how'd that happen? How do you suddenly have sight? Then the Pharisees came along and they began to question him. And then he just said, this man told me to do this and I did it. I got my sight. He went on, came back. They came back to him. They questioned his parents. And they said, the parents said, look, he's of age. Ask him. They go to him again. John 9, 26 the man born blind said this, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Isn't that something? How God gave him sight. I think about Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7 and 59. And they stoned Stephen after he had preached a fiery sermon in that chapter. And they, called us, they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So receiving God's approval should be the primary aim in the Christian's life. I want God's approval. I know I tell people this. I compare my life to a yardstick. I'm over here in the third yard, third, third foot of the, of the yardstick. I know where I am as far as life is concerned and age is concerned. How long or how short, I don't know. But I want to spend my life, the balance of my life, 
with God's approval, doing what he's asked me to do and gaining his approval. He said, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study carries the, the idea of hard work. And it is. My brother, who's now in heaven, uh, he, uh, he kind of fumbled his way through high school, joined the Navy. He came home, got out of the Navy and said, I'm going to college. And so he began to take classes to beef himself up for preparation for college courses. I saw him sitting at a desk in our house working math and working different kinds of math. I saw him sweat pouring off of him as he was working his way through these courses so he could get them passed and be able to go to college. It's hard work, hard work. And gentlemen, ministry is hard work. Oh, there's some good times you have, but I'm telling you, it's hard work. I could go through illustration after illustration of very tedious times when we had to work very hard and work through some challenges and work with people who were upset and mad at you and work through them to get them thinking right. Study carries the idea then of hard work and diligence. The actual word translated study here means to use speed, to make an effort to be prompt or earnest in what you're doing. God's telling you when you get your assignment, study. Be diligent. Do hard work. And then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth or making a straight cut. Now, I'm not a carpenter, but I have had to cut some two-by-fours at times to help somebody do something or do something I wanted. And you measure it, and you think you got it just right, and you cut that two-by-four too short. Well, then it's useless for the intended purpose. You have to throw it aside and find another purpose for it. Make a straight cut, a good straight cut. Use what you have Take the Word of God and let it work in your heart. Study carries the idea of diligence and hard work. Christians must not be satisfied with merely being saved from wrath. Now, I'm glad I'm saved, born again, fireproof, heaven-bound, going to heaven. And I know that. And I know that I'm saved by the grace of God. But wait a minute. You get saved and you're supposed to just relax the rest of your life and do nothing. You're supposed to work and study and prepare your life and yourself for the very work of God. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Romans 12.1 and 2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice for God. I want you to consider the tragedy of the soul being saved, but the life being wasted. We'll look at several Bible examples very briefly. I think about Lot and Abraham. Abraham, the patriarch, the leader of Israel at that time. And, and they, they went off to a land where God told them to go. And then Abraham became wealthy. Lot became wealthy and the tribesmen, the herdsmen of Lot and Abraham had strife. Abraham said, all right, Lot, see this land over here? See this land over here? Take your pick. You got it. He looked out at the well-watered plains of Sodom and said, I'll take that. Abraham said, okay. 
The sad part is he took the well-watered plains of Sodom and he got mixed up in the affairs of that city in that country. What a shame. What a terrible shame. Became a, a judge in the gate. and They, they looked at him as a, as a great wise man. He would pass judgments on matters that need, needed some wisdom and some help. And then he got caught up in the philosophy of that city and his children got caught up in the philosophy and he lost his kids, all of them. When he, God said to him, Lot, you, the angel said, get out of this place. He went and told his sons-in-laws, he told his family, they laughed at him and balked and scorned him. Finally, he, his wife and two daughters were on the way out. And, he, and his wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. So it was just now left just him and his two daughters. Long story short, they went from this place to that place, finally wound up in a cave. And the two girls said to each other, our father has no heritage. There's no children left, no sons left, no daughters left but us. And they contrived to get him drunk and to conceive children by him. And so the whole long story is, Lot lost everything, everything, because of his failure to walk with God and do what was right and honor God. And so, the, but wait a minute, was Lot saved? Was he a born-again man? Did he know the Lord? This shows you how far away a believer can become when they walk away from God and get out from under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. 2 Peter 2.8 says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Here's a man in the New Testament among many servants of God. This man's name is Demas. Look at his demise. Before I give you that, I can recall my days in Bible college back in the 60s. I worked long, hard hours too and went to school. Didn't get involved in class activities and so on because I couldn't. I was going to school and working. Long hours at foremost dairy plant. But the men and the women who became class leaders and the big shots in the class within the first five years. Listen to me, young people. In the first five years, every one of those, the class president, the vice president, the secretary, the treasurer, whoever they were, every one of them, we're out of the ministry. First five years. And I thought to myself, what happened? Something was going on in their lives that weren't right. And I'm telling you this, you've got to be careful with how you conduct your life. By the way, I went back and looked at the roster again. And after about 20 years, 50% or more were out of the ministry who claimed that God had called them to serve him, whether it's to be a pastor, assistant, or a missionary, they had dropped by the wayside. 
I'm telling you, who's going to quit in here? You ought to listen to this and make a determination that it may not be somebody, but it may not be, it won't be me. I'm going to stand faithful to God. No matter how hard it gets. Were there times I was discouraged? Sure there were. Were there times I wanted, <coughs> wanted to quit? Of course. First year and a half, we were at Southside. It was over the Christmas season, and I got a call from one of my men who was one of our deacons. He said, I need to talk to you. We've got a problem. I said, okay, Charles, what is it? He said, well, you got some men that want to have a meeting. Year and a half at the ministry. So I said, okay, we'll have a meeting. That Sunday afternoon, we had a meeting right before church. What a good time to have a meeting. One of the brassy men raised his hand and said, Preacher Walters, the average Baptist preacher doesn't last more than a year, a year and a half. You've been here a year and a half, and it's time for you to go. I didn't go. Later on, God took him. Demas, don't you become a Demas? You ought to write it down somewhere in the flyleaf of your Bible. I, by the grace of God, I will not be a Demas. Look at the demise of him. First of all, in Colossians 4, 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He was serving God. A little different in attitude in Philemon, Philemon chapter, verse 24. And it says, Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas and Lucas, my fellow laborer. There's just something in the attitude of that verse that shows something's going on with Demas. He's not where he ought to be. And then in 2 Timothy 4.10, we see the fruit of his demise. 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. The demise of a good man. And I've watched that happen over the years. And Brother Bill, you and I know, and many of you have been around a long time, a lot of great students have come out of here and gone out to serve God and doing a marvelous job out there. But we've had some demises. And that's heartbreaking to see that. Don't you become a Demas. You stay faithful. There must be a determination to add to our faith. Now here's where we, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Excellent verses for every young, young preacher and young, young person studying the Word of God. And Peter says, And beside all this, give diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. If these be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he gives a warning. He that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see you far off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Can you say amen? God purged you from your old sins. He saved you, made you his, his own child. Now grow in these virtues, grow in these graces. Because he said if you don't have them, 
you've forgotten what God's done for you. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you, if you do these things, you shall do what? Never fail. Add all these things into your heart and your life and your character. Don't be blind to them. Don't ignore them. 2 Peter 3.18 reminds us, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. My aim in life and your aim in life should be this. God's approval. God's approval. God wants us to be faithful to Him and let Him have His way with us and and direct us and guide us. As a young person, I never dreamed I would go to the places I would go and do what I have done in, in in the years of my ministry that God's given me. In February 1967, in Greensboro, North Carolina, we planted the New Testament Baptist Church. There's a student here from that church. That's a blessing to me. I don't know where you are. I think I see her over here, but I'm not sure. But it's the fact that that church goes on, and, and, and God is using that church. Brother Sewell's doing a good job there. And we served in some other churches, and then in June of 1978, we went to Rock Hill and took a a church that was stumbling along the way, many problems. The building looked like an ancient warehouse, all kind of problems there. When it rained, we'd put out buckets. When it's cold, we'd put out kerosene heaters. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, just to try to get some heat in that building. Over the years, God's allowed us to upgrade it, modernize it, make it look good, give good heating and air conditioning. God's, God worked. God worked. We tried to be faithful. Were there discouraging moments? Any preacher will tell you there are. Are there difficult moments when somebody's giving you a hard time? Yeah, there are difficult moments. But God said, be faithful. Be faithful. I approve of your faithfulness. Be faithful and do what God, do what I've called you to do. There's so many other things I I would like to tell you I don't have the time for, but I'll I'll tell you this. I had the uh, opportunity often to drive to Charlotte to go visit a church member in the hospital. On the way to the hospital, I drive up 77 and right off to the right off Tyvola Road was where my parents lived at the time. They both are deceased and in heaven now, enjoying the blessings of, of heaven. But I'd stop in after I'd visit in the hospital. I'd come back by and I'd stop in about 15 minutes and just to speak to dad and mom. Tell them I loved them and I'm praying for them and hoping they're doing good. Later in life, Dad's heart began to give out, and he began to have all kinds of problems, and I would take him to the hospital, to the doctor, back and forth, back and forth, multiple times before he finally reached his demise physically. One day, I stopped in to visit Dad and Mom. 
we had a good little conversation. We chatted a while, asked them how they're doing. Mama would always say, I'm doing good as I can for what I got. She just loved the Lord. They would pray every day around the table for us kids. We've grown out of the home, married, got our own families. They'd pray for us regularly. Mom and daddy's prayers, by the way, are still being answered. How they prayed for us. So I was getting ready to leave. I said, bye, I got to go. Told them goodbye, hugged them goodbye. Went out the door, off the front porch, the screen porch, and stepped out onto the yard. I heard footprints behind me. I turned around and looked, and there was dead following me out of the house, following me to the car. He said, son, I need to talk to you. Just a minute, I got something I want to tell you. He said, See, there were seven of us kids, three older, and there was such a space difference, age difference between the set of three older and the set of three younger. I was kind of on my own in so many ways. When I went off to Bible college, I never asked for a dime. I never asked for anything. I never asked for support. I never asked them for anything. I was so used to making my way that I didn't even think about asking them to help with my school bill, to ask them to help me pay my way. And Dad stood there and he said, Son, I got to apologize to you. I looked at him and like, for what? He said, for not being there when you needed me. I was working long and hard hours, and I knew he was, and I understood that. And he said, I want to apologize to you for not being there. I said, Dad, that's okay. I did miss him when I was a kid growing up because he was working, and I knew what he was doing. He was taking care of his family. I knew that. He said, I just want to tell you I'm sorry for not being there for you and helping you and supporting you and when you went off to school, you didn't ask us for anything. You just loaded up and took off. He, put, he took me downtown. I took suitcases and a footlocker to the, uh, to the Trailways bus station downtown Charlotte, 3.30 in the morning. That bus pulled out, and for the next 36 hours, I was on a, either a Trailways or a Greyhound bus making my way to Missouri. Longest that I'll never ride a bus anywhere again. It's awful. They smoked on the buses, and I got there, and my sinuses were terribly messed up. But my daddy said, son, I'm sorry. I said, dad, that's all right. I'm okay. I made it. I could have said, yeah, I wished you were there. I could have said that and hurt him. But he came to me in, in sincerity and love and said, I'm sorry for not being there for you. Did I love my dead mom? I guarantee you I did. Were they faithful, loving of God? Yes, they were. They knew and loved the Lord. Hard workers. All they ever knew was the farm. Day and night. Day and night. And they brought that work ethic with them. Into their family. Dead mom worked long hours. He said, I, I do that to pay the bills and put food on the table. I knew what he was talking about. He meant food. He meant bologna and 
hot dogs and spam and stuff like that. I didn't know what a steak was. Never had one until I was 16. I went and bought it myself. I want to see what it was like. See, I'm not saying all this tell you to ask you to be sorry for me. I'm telling you, no matter your circumstances, what goes on in your life, if God's called you, He will make the way for you. And He will take care of you and He'll supply your needs. No matter what comes into your life. One last little comment and I'll be done. I really was in need of some money to help pay bills and stuff like that and get quarters to wash my clothes with. And one day I just said, Dear God, I sure wish you'd send, somebody would send me a, some money in, in the mail so I could, and I listed off the things I needed to do. And I went to my mailbox that, that day and I opened up and there was an envelope from a friend we grew up with and he sent me $5. I thought, that's wonderful. I should have prayed for 20 but anyway, <laughs> God took care of me. He took care of me. Struggle, yes, struggle's good for you. Hard times are good for you. Having to get on your knees and beg God is good for you. Because you learn then that God can take care of you no matter your circumstances. And you cannot see what's coming tomorrow, but he already sees tomorrow from the other side. God will take care of you. Let God build your faith by stretching you out. Letting you have some difficult times. By the way, those prima donnas that were the class leaders when I was in Bible college, they were the ones that had all their, had all their bills paid. Somebody paid their way. They never had to struggle. They never had to work. They had time to work and study and do all those things, and they dropped out. Hard times are good for you. They'll build you and make you stronger, make you the man of God, the woman of God that you ought to be. If I were to share with you all the struggles I've been through over the years, you would not believe it. But I'm telling you, God is good. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please?